Welcome again to another one of our Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcasts. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. It's good to have you with us as we are progressing through the Gospel of Luke. And we're in chapter 9 and a little bit of 10 today as well. You know, this last week, uh, our associate pastor, Scott, um, showed me a video. Scott's very much into leadership, and and this was a a great video he thought that I should see. Now, the video actually originates from a music festival, it looks like, and somebody is filming a guy who is having a little bit too much fun, you think. Um, He is shirtless, and he's dancing, and, and his dance is free, and a little nutty. It's kind of crazy. And, and it's just, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And it's all of a sudden, as you see, this guy's just, he doesn't care what anybody's thinking. He's just dancing for all he's worth. And then another guy uh, starts to dance with him. And I mean, they both are doing this crazy dance. And the first guy uh, who now we'll call the leader, he begins to show that first guy who follows him, how to do the dance. And they both are having a great time. Then the second guy, that first follower, begins to invite his friends in and they start to uh, dance. And pretty soon what was just one guy dancing on the hill turns into about four or five guys dancing on the hill. And pretty soon all of these concert goers, it's like a festival. So the festival goers, they all are uh, piling into this huge, a mass of people, okay? And they're all having a great time doing the dance. So that's that's the video. But what happened was a guy who was teaching about leadership, he starts to break down the making of a movement using this video, talking about how, you know, you have one guy doing something different, and then the, the most important thing is that first follower who is willing to put himself out there because he sees the genius of what that initial guy was doing. And pretty soon, people want to be a part of this because it's too good not to miss. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's really the making of a movement. One guy doing something different, offbeat, bold, confident, marching to a different drummer, definitely. And in the end, you see this movement that just began with that one message affecting so many other people, operating under this joy and abandon in the dance. And as crucial as the first guy, the narrator says, as crucial as the first guy is, the movement doesn't happen until you have the first follower, a person so committed to the the first guy's ideas and expressions that he's willing to put himself out there. Now, when I saw this video and I heard what the narrator was saying, I immediately knew I was watching discipleship happening before my very eyes. And ultimately, this is the story that Jesus's gospel has as it impacts the the disciples' lives. Now, up until the ninth chapter of Luke, we've seen Jesus doing a lot of things. Last week, we saw how he cast out a legion of demons. He healed a woman who had been unclean and diseased for 12 years. And he raised a little girl, also, by the way, 12 years old. And I'm wondering if that's actually a connection there. Anyways, and raised her from the dead. So by now, the disciples who have been hanging out with Jesus, they've known something about Jesus that's pretty significant. 
they have seen and they have witnessed that he has the power to do the impossible. And all of these miracles, they are really there to validate the message uh, that he had in regard to the kingdom of God being at hand. And yet, up till now, up till chapter 9, it's been a Jesus thing only, okay? They've been with him, they've supported him, they've listened to him, they've learned from him, but it's been him. And that's good, and, and that's actually very necessary, because you have to watch and learn uh, to understand what the gospel is all about. But here's the deal. As much as it is important for Jesus to come out and do all of these things, it cannot stay just a Jesus thing if this is going to be a movement. As disciples, these guys have been called by Jesus, who is their rabbi, not just to watch him, not just to learn from him, but to actually emulate him, to be like him, to imitate him. In fact, he tells them in John 14, as he is letting them know that he is getting ready to leave and go back up to the Father. In John 14, 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. See, Jesus isn't calling the disciples to just be fans of his, or is he actually even calling them just to be followers? There was a, a book uh, that came out in the Christian realm, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, about not a fan, I'm a follower. That's, that's great, but you know what? You can follow Jesus and fall short of what he actually envisions you to actually be and do in your life. And so, yeah, he doesn't call us to be fans. He wants us to follow him, but he doesn't just call us to be followers either. As disciples, we are to be imitators, to actually engage in what he is doing, to do what he does, to reflect who he is, his power, his character. So here in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is letting his followers do a trial run, if you will. They've been watching the dance, so to speak, and now he is encouraging them to try it as well. I'm going to read the first six verses of chapter 9. We're going to be kind of all around chapter 9 today and a little bit in, in chapter 10 as well. But here's what Luke 9 says. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. All righty. So he's launching them into their ministry. And how is their ministry supposed to begin? Exactly how his ministry began. If you um, have ever read Matthew chapter 4, Matthew records for us that from that time on, and this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, this is the foundation of any kind of service or miracle that the disciples are going to go do, okay? If they didn't keep this one main thing, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if they didn't keep that one main thing in mind at all times, if they could not remember that it's not about what they're going to do, it's not about them and their power, right? 
It's not about the, the, the spiritual authority that they will exercise. As much as it is, it's the kingdom of heaven that's behind the spiritual authority that we're exercising. This message that they proclaim, that's going to be the main thing. And if they forget that, they're not going to be effective. Keep the main thing the main thing, Jesus is telling them. Just like I started by telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you are to preach the kingdom of heaven. But to prove that message, by the way, there has to be more. God chooses to validate the message through power that can be seen there in a very tangible way. See, what Jesus has done is he says, I'm going I'm to give you the ability to cast out demons and cure diseases. Not because that's going to be an end to themselves, but because the message, which again, that's the main thing, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That message is always going to be backed up. God chooses to back it up with authentic power that you can actually see. Now, what is that power? Well, it's, it's seen back there as casting out demons and, and healing diseases and things like that. But essentially, it comes down to this, that the, the power that validates the message, right, is the power to change people's lives. You know, you can get caught up in the demon casting thing or on-the-spot healings, and, and there is something to that, obviously. But it's a little dangerous to get caught up in the how. Because it's not about the how, okay? It's not about the how. I, I have not seen demons being cast out of a person, but I have seen lives change. You know, it, God does it in different ways. It's not about the how, it's about the who. And it's about the what. See, God, that's the who, is in the business of changing lives. That's the what. Whether it's breaking us free from destruction destructive addictions, and I have seen that in my lifetime, or cleansing us from demonic influence, and I've heard the stories, and I know that that happens in certain parts of the world even today, or bringing wholeness to our bodies, which is definitely a thing that we pray for. See, God is faithful to demonstrate by all of those things that the gospel is real. The gospel is real. And he's proving that the gospel is real by showing his power that backs up that gospel. Because the gospel really does change lives. And if it doesn't, then it shouldn't be our message. If the gospel does not change lives, it should not be our message. See, if somebody's message is that, hey, the kingdom of God is here. If their message is God is now showing favor from those who will repent, turn from their sinful nature, and make him the Lord of their life. Then, but, but then there is no evidence of any kind of change. Well, then it's hard to convince somebody that the gospel, the gospel that changes people, is actually true, right? Um, there's a story I heard a long time ago. It's, it's awesome about this impatient woman. Uh, she's driving her car down the highway. She's tailgating a guy, right? And, and she is just frustrated. And, and he's braking because of a slowdown ahead. And she's, she almost crashes into him. She gets so furious. So she honks her horn. She begins to yell out the window. And just then she notices the cop lights behind her. <laughs> he's pulling her over. So she she's now really hopping mad, right? The officer gets up there, asks for license and registration. 
And of course, you, you know how police officers, they try to slow you down a little bit longer. And so she's just getting more and more irritated. And, and, uh, and the officer says, okay, uh, ma'am, you're, you're free to go. She, she says, well, why'd you even pull me over? It wasn't because I was speeding, obviously. Well, the officer said, well, you see, madam, I, I pulled up behind you uh, while you were honking your horn and, and cussing out the driver in front of you pretty loudly. Then I noticed the follow Jesus, not me bumper sticker on on, on your car there and, and the God is love sticker there in your rear window and and the, uh, the Christian fish emblem. So naturally, I assumed that you had stolen the car. You see, if our lives don't reflect the power of the gospel, okay, if it's just a bunch of words and bumper stickers and stickers and, and, and fish emblems, if our lives don't reflect what the, what the gospel does, changes people's lives, then we've missed an opportunity for people to come to believe in the gospel. That's why miracles were performed. God was choosing to do miracles to prove, to validate his message that the gospel changes lives. Now, not only is there evidence of the power of God that Jesus is going to give his disciples, but there's evidence then of the provision of God. Look back at verse 3, and, and let's see what uh, Jesus tells the disciples to take with them. <laughs> Ready? Uh, he says, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic, uh, nothing. Take nothing. Take nothing. Don't. In, in other words, if you're going to do this, it's not going to be about your cleverness or your strategy or your uh, ingenious ideas. Now, maybe God uses your creativity and your strategies, but it's not based on what you can do. It's, it's based on what God is going to give you to do. When I became a, a full-time vocational pastor, there was a movement in the Western church to use business principles to grow your youth group or to grow your church. There was this idea that if certain ideas worked for Hewlett Packard, for instance, then it would obviously work for the local church. Uh, my father, uh, he had been a longtime um, pastor in San Jose, California, and had been the uh, head of the youth ministry department at San Jose Bible College, then San Jose Christian College, and now William Jessup University in Rockland, California. But there in San Jose, dad worked uh, for a church and worked for the school. And uh, and then he was recruited by a, a little church that had actually seen some pretty uh, healthy growth at one point of its life, but then it started to decline down in Southern California. This was in the early 90s, and, and Dad uh, decided to leave San Jose and go down to this little church. And once they hired him, they said, okay, Don, what's the plan? And he said, well, we're going to pray. And they said, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, obviously we're going to pray, but what's the plan? Uh, what's going to be the strategy that we can grow our church again? And dad said, we're going to pray. And it's like they said, no, no, something real. And dad says, yes, it is real. We're going to pray. And that's what they, the leadership and the church began to do. Over the course of the next couple of years, they just prayed and prayed and prayed. And what happened? Well, eventually God grew a strong, healthy church. God grew a strong, healthy church that actually made a difference in their community. And now it is thriving. And by the time dad left that place, and this is 
nothing uh, about dad, although he is a very creative guy and, and he's a, a very gifted speaker. It was the power of God uh, tapped into by the church who was dedicated to pray that actually grew the church to over 1,700 members over the last, next 20 years. But that was not as much the phenomenon of, of people leaving one church to, to become part of their church. It was actually more of a people who had yet to become believers. Uh, they were not disciples yet, but they were being brought in by the disciples. And they, they began to put their faith in Jesus and received abundant and eternal life. See, there's no reliance on business principles in, in that story. They trusted God for the provision of what they needed to share the gospel with their community, and God showed up. Funny how that works, huh? See, where God calls a church, God says that he will empower that church, and he will provide for that church with the resources and the manpower to make happen what God has willed to happen. Now, for the disciples, the provision actually came from the people who are receptive to the ministry. When you go into a town, if they receive you, great, bring, bring blessing to them. And God will use them to help grow your ministry and to, to provide for what you need. If a person allows you to stay, wow, bring peace to that home. But uh, conversely, if they don't accept your ministry, well, that's fine. That's fine. Just move on. Move on. Wow. Really? Move on? Yeah. Do you, do you see the, the kind of trust in what God's going to do? and who God's going to bring, and how God's going to grow it, rather than it's all on me. Oh my goodness, if, if they don't come and be part of my church, I must be some kind of failure. Jesus says, if they're not ready to receive it, move on. You know, a lot of people that I know ignore that um, guidance. I've known many people who just keep banging their heads against the wall, and, and, and they think that there's some kind of failure, because they've taken it upon themselves, their responsibility to... Um, to, to grow a church. God says, look, I, I just want you to be faithful to me. I want you to tap into my power. I want you to trust me. You're, you're not to be the, the Holy Spirit. If you do your part, uh, whether it's planting a seed or, or watering that seed or taking care of a sprouting plant, whatever that is, God wants you to be faithful in that. That's all God wants you to do. It's, it's God that will bring the growth. If a, a person is rejecting the disciples. They're not really rejecting uh, the, the disciples as much as they're rejecting the gospel message. And obviously it's not time yet. Uh, on another interesting note, I want you to notice the direction of the movement that Jesus calls his disciples to do. This is not like Field of Dreams, where if you build it, they will come. See, that's the attraction model of discipleship. Well, we're building something here. We're doing something really cool at our church, and people should just show up. And the movement's taking place within our walls. And man, we've got exciting worship. We've got inspiring communion meditations. Man, I wish people would just come and hear what we've got to offer. But, folks, that's not what Jesus modeled, is it? It's not what he calls these first followers into. No, they, he's called them to go out. They go to the people. They go to the people rather than building a movement uh, on the people coming to them. It's like, hey, I, I would love, as the VBS kids are going to be doing this year, I would love to put shoes on the Ugandan children's feet. I would love to give the villages there in Uganda some new seeds to plant. So um, 
when are they coming to get him? I mean, is, isn't that silly? Even though we think well, that would be way more convenient, that's silly. You don't expect the Ugandans halfway across the world to come here. You go there, right? Here's something to chew on. Look what Jesus says to some people who were interested in joining the movement. Now, let's we're still in chapter 9, but jump all the way down to verses 57 and following. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, mm, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I'm sure uh, business strategy models and people who... who uh, uh, try to sell that to churches, they would look at Jesus and say, dude, you have people who want to join your movement, so why are you making it so inconvenient for them? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus knows that the kingdom that he is calling us into with our words and, and, and our lives, if you remember, that's an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for those who are not yet born again in the Spirit. He calls us to give up our rights. He calls us to put other people's needs first. He calls us to be servants. Those are not part of a curriculum to worldly greatness, folks. Jesus is not calling us into convenience, but of significance. He's calling us to be a part of something that is fulfilling and fruitful, and something that actually has the power to change people freeing them to be what they were originally created to be. See, if Jesus wanted to start something lasting, boy, he wasn't following the principles of church growth that I heard of back in the 80s and 90s. The church today is praying for God to send the harvest to them. Lord, send us a harvest. Send us a harvest, please. And, and yet in chapter 10, the movement has now grown from 12 guys being sent out to now 72 being sent out with very similar instructions. And we see the exact opposite prayer being called for by Jesus in verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You don't pray that God would bring the harvest to you. You pray that God would send you out to the harvest. Now, maybe you've heard this story before, but, but it bears repeating if, even if you have. On a dangerous seacoast, where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a little life-saving station. The building was primitive, and there was just one boat, but the members of that life-saving station were committed. They kept a constant watch over the sea. When a ship went down, they unselfishly went out day and night to save the lost, tirelessly searching for anyone who was a victim of shipwrecks. And so because of that, many lives were saved, and it became a very famous life-saving station. So... Consequently, many people wanted to be associated with it. Uh, they wanted to give their time and their talent and their money to support its important work. So new boats were able to be bought and new crews recruited and uh, formal training sessions was offered. It was a very exciting time for that life-saving station. 
But as the membership in the life-saving station grew, some of the members became unhappy that the building was so crude and, and that the equipment outdated. They wanted a better place to welcome survivors who had been pulled from the sea. So they decided to replace the emergency cots with nice, comfy beds and, and put better furniture in the enlarged and newly decorated building. Soon, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They met regularly, and when they did, it was apparent how they loved one another. It was sort of a club, right? They had events, and they greeted one another, they hugged one another, they shared life together. But few members now were interested in actually going out to sea on life-saving missions. So they came up with this idea to hire lifeboat crews. They were going to do this, right? They were going to do this work. And they would send those crews out and want them then to give them updates on how their missions, their new life-saving missions on other parts of the coast were faring. Now, about this time, a large ship uh, wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews uh, brought into the life-saving station boatloads of cold and wet and dirty and sick and half-drowned people. Now the beautiful meeting place that they had worked so hard on became a place of chaos. Plush carpets were dirty. Some of the nice furniture got scratched. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside of the club where the victims of the shipwreck, they could get cleaned up before they actually came inside. At the next meeting, there was actually a split in the, the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they, they, they were unpleasant. Uh, they became a hindrance to the normal fellowship of the members of the club. But other members, they insisted that, no, life-saving was their primary purpose. And they, they, they pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But those people were finally voted down. They were told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And so they did. Now, as the years passed, unfortunately, that new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a place to regularly meet for fellowship, and for committee meetings, and for special training about their mission. But very few went out to save drowning people. The drowning people were no longer welcome in that new life-saving station, so another life-saving station was founded further down the coast. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of really nice clubhouses, adequate meeting places, ample parking, plush carpeting. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Church, Jesus began a movement. Just like that video that I saw of the shirtless guy who was enjoying life to the fullest there, dancing for all he's worth on the hillside. He was listening to some great music. He wasn't caring what the world thought of his expressions of joy. But Jesus's movement wasn't a dance like that. It was actually a submission to the will of God. A God who desires more than anything to make us like Jesus. You know, in chapter 10 of Luke, after the 72 came back, they were overjoyed. They said in verse 17, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That was so outside of their realm of possibilities. They had no idea that they could do that. Even the demons submitted. There was joy in their ability to do what Jesus had been doing. This was a movement beyond human power. 
It was a movement of fulfillment and joy. It, it was a movement, actually, of worship, if you will. You know, if you watch this video of the shirtless guy, you'll see that this joy, this joy that people began to experience as they began to imitate this first guy. It's a joy that should be there when we are worshiping our God, telling him what he is worth in our life. Now, Jesus hasn't changed over the last 2,000 years, folks. The gospel of Jesus has not changed over the last 2,000 years. Jesus still calls us to be first followers, to, to, to be people of the movement. He gave us a model, and now he calls us not to mere conversion, but to be followers, the first followers in the circles that he has placed us in, and to imitate his life. I, I, I actually love how Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. See, because a lot of people in your community, a lot of people in the circle of your influence, a lot of people in your family, they, for them, you might be the first real example of who Jesus really is to them. You could be like these first followers in that circle. So Jesus then calls for you to join him in the joy of the dance, just like he did the 12 there in chapter 9 and, and the 72 there in chapter 10. You know, he actually, before he went to heaven in Matthew 28, he says, I want you to go. I want you to go make disciples. I want you to teach them to obey, teach them to dance, bring more people into the movement. Now, there was a book that we read as a church leadership uh, a few years ago. It was called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It, it was all about how Jesus would evangelize and, and share the, the gospel. Now, I get it. Whenever I say the word evangelism in church, there are, are some people who, um, they, they get a little scared. I, and I understand. I understand. They have in their mind a picture of embarrassment or, or, or rejection. Can evangelism be scary? Sure. Could uh, somebody dancing out there on the hill all by himself be a little scary? Sure. And if you wanted to join in, uh, you know, and be the, one of the first two or three people, would that be a little scary? Yeah, it could be. It could be. And I get it. You know, when I went to San Jose Bible College, I, I remember having to take a class. It was a, a required course called Personal Evangelism. I was not looking forward to this. It was a mandatory class that usually uh, was taken in your freshman year. But um, because of my fear of evangelism, I saw the personal evangelism, and I knew it was a mandatory class, but I didn't take it my freshman year. I didn't take it my sophomore year. I didn't take it my junior year. No, no. In fact, I waited till the very last term of my senior year to take this class. I was a senior amongst a bunch of newbies, still scared out of my mind, because one of the things we had to do was to go door to door with a religious survey. You had to do that in order to pass the class. You had to pass the class in order to graduate. I was scared. But looking back, I, I wish that I had understood Luke 9 and 10 better. I, I, I wish that I could have seen what God is really calling me to do in sharing the gospel. Because the witness that God wants me to bear is actually a lot different than what I imagined it to be, what I feared it to be. Like the book that we read about in the Master Plan of Evangelism, it's not necessarily about the cold call as much as it is about modeling something 
and bringing people along with you. It's discipleship. It's about Jesus' movement, yes, that he calls us into. But then it's his power. It's his provision. It's even his purpose. So I don't need to rely on my power. I don't need to rely on what I feel like I bring to the table by way of my speaking skills or any of that. I don't even need to be stuck in a particular plan that has been created by well-meaning leaders in the business world that are bringing those strategies into church growth. I need only to remember that I have been called to join in the dance. I have been called into discipleship. And there is a joy in seeing people's lives change. But it's not me. It's not my words. God says, I'll give you the words. I just want you to get out here and start to dance. Rely on my power. Rely on my provision. Even, again, even the words that I use, which sometimes can't get to my brain as quickly as I, I would like, the master plan of evangelism will lead me to share the good news in God's time for those who are ready to receive it. I I, uh, I just want to encourage you to join in the dance, to join this movement, the making of a movement where it is the first followers that find the joy of then bringing others along. I, I hope that that's something that you find as you uh, test God, put him to the test, and you go out and do what he wants you to do and see if this is not something that is very fulfilling and exciting. All right, well, that's uh, what I'm going to say on a Sunday morning. It's good to have you with us again on these podcasts. I want to thank uh, Lisa Welly and Steve Pittman, all of those who make sure that these uh, podcasts get out there onto the platform that you are on. I'm grateful for uh, living in a time where we can actually reach out beyond our four walls with encouragement uh, and insight from God's Word. Uh, God bless you this week, and I hope to see you next week. Uh, this is our 4th of July week. So uh, may, I'm praying that you have a safe and sane and a very enjoyable time celebrating uh, the independence we have in this country, the freedom that we have to worship God the way that we want to. And uh, may God continue to uh, just guide you and encourage you in your faith.